it's Thursday night on the fan pregame. Sportsnet fans, Sportsnet 590, the fan. We are pregaming lots of hockey on the network tonight, including Colorado and Detroit, Boston and Calgary, and Vancouver and Seattle. <laughs> we'll get into a bit of goalie talk and how Austin Matthews is scoring at such a torrid pace with Carter Hutton in about five minutes. Yeah, and the Toronto Raptors and the NBA returning after a lengthy all-star break. It did feel longer than it was. Uh, Brooklyn Nets in town with a new coach, Kevin Ollie. We'll see if they get that dead coach bounce. Uh, they're in Toronto to tangle with the Raptors. We'll tap in Will Lou from Scotiabank Arena in about a half hour. With what was once part of the Raptors show, Dennis Ruder in town as well. Yeah, that's No a good longer a, a frequent flyer. Ultimate revenge angle. <laughs> there certainly is. Um, Elliot Friedman's latest 32 Thoughts, the column on sportsnet.ca has some historical data on 70 goal scorer, 70 goal scorers, how that factors into the Hart Trophy. <clears throat> We're talking a little Austin Matthews. Things are looking good. The odds are um, pretty much uh, a coin toss, really, at this point. And the updates continue to roll in from spring training. Ricky Tiedemann will start Saturday's opener, Bowden Francis Sunday. Bo Bichette mm. taking on, at least it seems, that prominent leadership role. Also, a lot of good things to come out of spring training as well. And the first runs of spring training came courtesy of Teoscar Hernandez in his first at-bat as a Dodger. They were up 8 nothing at the top of the first, so they look like they're going to be good. But it is spring training, but it was Teo, Teo, Teo. So just took that one to the heart a little bit. Um, before we talk to Carter, I want to talk quickly about the Toronto Raptors. As you mentioned, it's been uh, a little bit of a break. I think a, a perfect time maybe for Raptors fans, Raptors players to all take a little bit of a breath. Uh, they're 12th in the East. They were on a three-game losing streak before the break. Five games out of a play-in position. Obviously, we know their defensive rating is one of the worst in the NBA. There's been a lot of things this season that haven't sat right. You know, they, they decided to be sellers, and it might have been too late, but nonetheless, they got rid of some major franchise pieces. The big question, and our text line's op- always open at 595.90, is like, what are your second-half goals for the Raptors? What do you want to see? What do you need to learn about this team as they whether push for a play-in position, if they tank, if they just work on playing good basketball. Yeah, I think for me it's pretty simple. It's just about building connective tissue because it seems like, you know, after such a, you know, I wouldn't even say messy, but just like chaotic stretch Mm -hmm. of roster and personnel decisions, you kind of have the core now. And you got to have these core members start to build together. IQ and Scotty finding rhythm together, obviously important. RJ finding a way to seamlessly fit his downhill scoring offense that is a lot of individual uh, in with Scotty and IQ. How does Kelly Olynyk fit and make Scotty better? Uh, Grady Dick carving out more of a role. Like, let's see if these pieces can gel together a little bit and we'll see how much that involves. Jakob Pertl, Bruce Brown, mm. Gary Trent Jr. Either way, the most important guys have to start building together. And it doesn't matter if that results in wins. All it matters is like forming two-man and three-man and even full lineups that are actually going to be used when this team has a chance to win basketball games. Yeah, and I think connective tissue is a really great way to put it. And for me, I guess the massive muscle that leads that would be Scotty Barnes for me. Of course, he's the face of this franchise. Um, He's been given that role, and some people argue a bit too early. So what can we learn from the rest of this season? How about maturity? How about growth? How about knowing that you are the guy uh, and there's not a lot of, Um, there is a lot of pressure on you, but this season, not so much, right? Let's just see steps forward in terms of knowing how to have good body language and and knowing how to talk to the media and knowing how to lead this team. I think Scotty 
is the start of that for me. I'm actually, I also want to see Grady Dick get a little bit more confidence, a little bit more moments to shine, to be a rookie, to learn hit the ins and outs of the game because he didn't get that too much in the first half of the season. Darko gave him a little bit of a time to reset. He's come back looking much better, much more confident. So I think a couple of things like that will help Raptors fans find meaning throughout the next stretch of basketball, which, you know, they're not going to be contenders. They might not even be playing contenders. So if you want to keep watching basketball, nice to set some goals on what you want to learn. Yeah, and what it shouldn't be is trying to manipulate the use of that first-round pick. Uh, obviously, top six mm-hmm. pr- protected. Uh, they're in around that range and will probably be in that range the entire time. But there are no assurances, mm-hmm. even if you land inside the top six, that you'll get to keep it because... Well, we have a lottery to wait on. So just trying to manipulate that would not be advisable, I don't think. It should be about just making some early steps forward and as a team, and we'll see where that brings them uh, to the start of next season. All right, we're going to chat more Raptors with Will Liu, host of the Raptors show, of course, a little later in the show. We also have the game up on Sportsnet 590, the fan at 7 o'clock, Brooklyn, in town to face the Raptors. Uh, but let's bring on our first guest, Carter Hutton, of course, of the NHL, uh, and he's also with dailyfaceoff.com. Carter, thanks so much for jumping on. How's it going? Good, good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Obviously excited to jump on and talk <laughs> hockey. Now in the, the next career over here, getting to uh, analyze games a little more. <laughs> I was doing it my whole career mostly because I sat on the bench for most of it. But uh, I feel you. <laughs> and you, you were one of the first guys to be handed a headset. You are doing a little color while mm. you were a backup goaltender, if I remember correctly, with Nashville, right? That was correct. That's kind of how I fell in love with Nashville. I think the fans didn't know who I was. Either, either was Pekka Rene was playing or who is this other guy? And then they threw the headset on me when he was playing and they'd <laughs> interview me after the 10-minute timeout. So it was good. It was kind of fun. And I had Terry Crisp and Pete Weber. They were legends. So they kind of threw me some lob balls. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, actually, I just want to ask you more about like the analyzing part of, of your role now as a goaltender and maybe not one that's always starting. I guess it's it's probably a, a big luxury at times to be able to see the game so well, whether you're just talking goalies, you're talking goal scores, which we're going to get into. I guess how how much of a like a leg up did you find when you moved into this part of your career that, yeah, I actually know what to say and how to analyze it because I've been doing this, playing it, but also seeing it from a different perspective sometimes on the bench. Yeah, I think honestly my time on the bench kind of helped me because mm. I was always like a voice to players too, right? Guys would come off after the shift, ask what happened. I'd be paying attention. Mm. You know, you kind of see the game, you see patterns and you see how it goes. And then while you're playing, it's a little different, right? You don't really net recognize the patterns as much. And for me, analyzing the goalie was always easy, right? You could see things and kind of see where it's going. And so it's been a lot of fun, this transition. And for me, it's just nice to be around the game still. Okay, let's start with the harder part then, and that's analyzing shooters. Uh, and I guess, that, you know, for a goaltender, that's your main study, right? You're trying to figure out how these guys shoot, what's different about them, uh, what makes them dangerous. But Austin Matthews, in terms of uh, his level and his comparisons to others in the NHL right now, I just don't think there is a comparison. So tell us sort of in like, not even layman's terms, you get as detailed as you want, but like uh, Austin Matthews, how he is different, how he can score in the ways that nobody else, it seems, in the NHL can. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of a wide array of things that he does, right? Especially his big size, right? He moves the puck. He can change the angle a lot. So he gets goalies off balance. And at his size and his strength, he's able to move the puck into his feet and still release it, where you can see a younger Connor Bedard do that as well. But with Matthews, it's that size and separation that he creates. And even now, you look at him, even you look at a goal last night that he scored his 50th on, he just fires it from an area where nobody else can score from. And it's his smarts, right? The goal that goes in before that, Bobby McMahon tips on a backdoor play where Vimelka is chasing the game, 
Matthews knows that. He's very cognitive. He sees the play, and he's always making adjustments. He's victimized me many times when I was playing against the Leafs. So <laughs> he's one of those guys that he can do it every which way, but at his size and his skill, it makes him a threat from anywhere in the offensive zone. Yeah, it's crazy even hearing, like, Connor Bedard when he came into the NHL saying he idolized uh, Austin Matthews shot. I'm like, how old are we now these days? Because that's a crazy thing to say. But you're seeing that release almost, like, trying to be replicated a bit more with some of the young players. Uh, I would never want to be a goaltender. I definitely would not want to be a goaltender now with just the skill, the speed, the physicality that these players are coming in. I guess in the last 10 years, how much better have goal scorers gotten in terms of just the edge that they start their career, their, their professional careers with compared to, you know, 15 years ago? You know, and I think that's one thing for Austin Matthews that's even more impressive is in the age of video, like he's not fooling anybody. You're not going into a team where they don't know what's coming. Everybody knows what's coming. So for me, it's the way they change their release points. They get rid of the puck quicker and they use whippier sticks. When I first came in the league, you'd see bigger defensemen using like 100, 120 flex, just stiff. It was very predictable. So for us, it's not necessarily how you shoot it as a goalie. It's deceptiveness. So using a whippier stick, being able to change the release point. Another guy that... that who always had my number as well, Alex Ovechkin. Just the release point was always tricky. So you'd think where it's going somewhere, the puck ends up somewhere else. And now they're doing it at high speeds and it's getting more and more impressive the way we can do it. And for me, it's just his athleticism, right? He's played 535 games in the league, which seems crazy. It seems like he just came in. So for him to be able to do this and the sustainability of it with his big size and his body, it's pretty impressive. You're telling me two of the world's greatest goal scorers had your number? Like, that's shocking. <laughs> yeah. I think you're alone on that one. Uh, that's so funny. Uh, let's ask you about Ilya Samsonov, though, because this has been a story here in Toronto. I'm sure you're aware uh, the ups and downs. But since the mental reset that he had and when he got past the waivers, went to the Marlies, like, are we seeing something different with Ilya Samsonov? Is there a level of confidence or just a level of, I guess, learning that can happen when you stop playing for a week or two and just like relearn how you approach a, a hockey game? You know, for Ilya Samsonov, he's not that old yet. Like, he's still a younger guy. He's had a lot of good minutes. And I think for him, it's a tough situation because you come, you play last year, you're under all this pressure. You're playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. They signed Matt Murray with him as well. They're both kind of on these show-me deals. He runs with it, he plays good, and he doesn't get the contract extension. He doesn't get the big deal. He goes to arbitration. So there's a lot of pressure on him, and he struggled this year a bit. But it's a lot to take in when you're playing in the fishbowl that Toronto is. It is tough to be a goalie in that market. I like this reset for him, but at the same time, I think it's going to be interesting when Joseph Wall comes back because he's played well when he's been the guy. It'll be interesting when Wall comes back and he gets a bit of pressure. So I've seen flashes of brilliance, but I still see some holes in his game where I think he needs to improve on that. But you know how he plays. If he gets hot at the right time, this team can be very dangerous come playoff time. So the the contract thing still hangs over Samsonov, right? I mean, he's unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, uh, which remains fascinating, right? Like, how are the Leafs going to deal with this? How will the NHL look at Samsonov? And there's still a lot of game to be played left in the season. I mean, he's brilliant as of late. But I wonder about that reset and the weeks off and the inability to give you anything that even was passable in terms of competitiveness at points this season, like... How how short is the memory for NHL executives and maybe the Maple Leafs themselves? Like, is that going to hurt Samsonov even if he plays well down the stretch? Even in the playoffs, maybe they win around again, but will they be thinking in the back of their mind, well, he was unreliable for the part, better part of six months or six weeks, uh, excuse me, and needed a week off. Like, will NHL general, general managers uh, forgive him for that? You know, there's always that presence of mind of he's had a knock on him his whole career. Washington let him go because of some of his issues on 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 and off the ice. But for him, 
I think they're going to let it go, but in a sense, they're going to use it against them when it comes to negotiating. Trust me, every little thing they have on you that works in their favor, they let you know, right? I've been through so many free agencies and different situations. So for him, I think, I don't know if he's the goalie of the future that you want to see. I think Joseph Wall is the guy that can run with it. I think they've done a better job of giving him more time in the American League to develop. My worry is Joseph Wall coming back from this injury this year, where does he get his game back to? Because it's hard to, this time of year, it's try, like trying to catch a moving train come this time of the year. We're chatting with Carter Hutton, a former NHL goaltender and working with dailyfaceoff.com. Okay, um, talking about perfect goaltending partnerships, possibly All-American Swayman. Uh, we've got Bruins talk on the brain. They're on Sportsnet 1 later tonight against Calgary. But uh, these two have been, not only are they best friends and they, they hug it out, I wonder for you just in terms of like goaltending competition, it looks like they don't care who wins, who plays. Like They might be like one of a kind. But the way that those two work off each other, it seems like there's just a friendly competitiveness they fill up each other's like weaknesses. I don't know if there's a, a goaltending duo as dynamic and as maybe lovable as those two on the Boston Bruins. You know, I got to spend three seasons with Linus in Buffalo, and he is a big teddy bear. Like the way he portrays himself is actually the way he is. I we probably would have did that hug, but we never won enough games in Buffalo. But <laughs> for those uh, for those two guys, honestly, it's great. It's nice to see that because. There is this underlying issue where everyone thinks that goaltending is this competitive two guys going head to head. You're trying to play for minutes where realistically you're competing against yourself. Like if, if I play good or the other guy plays bad, it's up to me to, you know, take care of my end of the deal. So it's nice to see them using that platoon to have success in Boston. And I think the way they've run it now, I remember when I was going through free agency, Boston was trying to get me to come there when I went to Buffalo because they wanted someone to play half the games with Tuka Rask to give him rest. Because I think the way the game is played now, there's so much offense. The goalies are working so much harder than they used to. You need to have depth. And these two have really found a way to bond and make it special. So it's it's really nice to see. And it's good for younger goalies to understand that it doesn't necessarily need a cutthroat competition where they can go out there. You can win together and have fun together. It feels like a goaltending partnership created in a lab in a lot of ways where it's just like, hey, one won a Vesna last year. The other one will maybe be nominated this year. Uh, and they both support each other. And it feels like they both accept their role completely, which is an important thing of course, uh, for the Boston Bruins. Um, speaking of Vesna, Connor Hellbuck is the favorite right now. Um, is that justifiable? Like, should he be the guy in that position? Is he the best goaltender, at least this season, for you? And if so, what separates Connor Hellbuck from the rest of the elite goaltenders in the NHL? I think for Connor Hellebuck, this year the Winnipeg Jets have done a better job of defending, right? They they give up a lot less chances, but in years past they haven't, and Hellebuck has still been good. So for me, Hellebuck is the guy right now, especially the surprise season they've had. They've been great, and it's really no one's noticed that Rick Bonus has gone in there and helped the team that lost Pierre-Luc Dubois gone in, added a different couple pieces, and had more success. So for me, Connor Hellebuck is the front runner right now. But the guy that the Leafs face tonight, Aiden Hill, obviously hasn't played as many games, but he's a 929 save percentage. A goalie that Matthews has faced actually three games and hasn't scored on, has 10 shots on him. So it'll be interesting to see what Aiden Hill can do in the second half if he can keep pushing and try to get over the top. But for me right now, the way Connor Hellebuck plays year in, year out, the way he manages the game, for me, I'm a little jealous of him because he's a bigger body, doesn't move as well, like as much, where when I was playing, I was moving around everywhere, losing six to eight pounds a game on a busy night. So guys like him, I was always very jealous of, but he gets a job done. It's fun to see that he can do it on a good team, a bad team. It doesn't matter, but Winnipeg does in front of him. He gets a job done. I'm jealous of the ability to lose six yeah. to eight pounds on a week. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Aiden Hill because I was going to ask you about him next. Of course, the Maple Leafs uh, in Vegas, but I think his like rise to relevancy, and I feel like that's... Uh, that 
kind of sounds bad at the same time, but from last year, that Stanley Cup run, he was like the fifth man um, in line to be this, the Stanley Cup goaltender. And now we're already talking about could he be a goaltender for Team Canada because now with international hockey being returned, we're starting to look at the way the United States lines up versus the Canadian roster. But he might be the guy for Canada if you're looking at a starting goaltender. I wonder for you if he, he could be a shoe in for or at least in the conversation. I know it's crazy how times have turned, right? We look at the olden days where we're talking about, you know, Brodeur was mm-hmm. there and Fleury and Price, and we always had the best goaltending, and now it seems like the Americans do. And, and Aiden Hill has definitely put his name in the conversation. Him and Stuart Skinner, these two guys that have really came into their own now. So for me, it's interesting what he's done this year. I, I don't think I really saw this coming. You know, he got the shot in the playoffs and obviously won the Stanley Cup. Got the contract. I thought there'd be a bit of a hangover, but he proved me wrong, and he's been lights out. And again, similar to Connor Hellebuck, just manages the game well. So he's, I think he's a face you're going to see for a long time in the Canadian net, let alone in the NHL, you know, getting the job done the way he's transitioned from winning a Stanley Cup to being great this year as well. So at this point in the season, everyone's looking uh, at the Stanley Cup and looking at Stanley Cup contenders. Who's legitimate? Who's uh, who's probably considered a, a pretender or something along those lines? Uh, and we all do it our own different way. Like, I think we've identified, you know, the six teams that we think could win the Stanley Cup. I wonder how you go through that process yourself. Do you look at goaltenders specifically and be like, okay, that goaltender could win a Stanley Cup with that team? Or are you looking at defense cores that and teams that play well in front of capable goaltenders and sort of judge the strength of teams based on that? Yeah, I think the overall package, right? Because I, I, I think there's a case of, you know, you talk about Vegas, you talk about even when St. Louis won the Cup, Bennington coming in, getting hot at the right time, but they played such good structure. And I think the main thing for me is you get in this time of year, if you can play as a unit on the rink and be predictable night in, night out, and then you get power play goals, you get some secondary scoring in your bottom six, you become an instant threat. So for me, I think it's pretty wide open this year, especially the East. I think the Devils, if they could trade to get a goalie, they become a threat if they make the playoffs, right? They're playing with the house's money. A team like Philly, again, I don't think they're a cup favorite, but nobody wants to meet teams that have no expectations on them. The West is a powerhouse this year. I think that's where I find the teams. I think it's going to be a team out of the West this year. But again, the East is so good. And you talk about your Florida's, your Boston, even Tampa Bay and sitting where they're sitting right now. When you face Vasilevsky in the playoffs, you never know what you're going to get. So it becomes very dangerous. You mentioned about teams looking for goaltenders. Uh, Jacob Markstrom, obviously somebody that's been, I guess, floated out there, not a, a confirmed person that might be leaving at the deadline. But what would he do to a team that you mentioned that might be looking to add maybe a contender? Maybe the like, Devils. Is he, is he the guy that would be the first one off the market? I think he's got to be right. He just adds a pedigree and he demands respect. And he's a guy I've played against a bunch in the minors and in the NHL and just the veteran leadership. There's nothing worse than even Jack Hughes in an interview post game, just saying, if we get saves, we find ways to win hockey games, right? It just shows the lack of confidence they have in their goalies, which sucks because I've been the guy that hasn't had the confidence and I've been the guy behind a great goalie. Mm. So it's nice to get a guy like that, especially with a younger group. I think that would instill confidence in the team. And he's the guy that's got to be the first guy moved. I think it's just a matter of, especially if they can make it happen at this time of year. Last one for you, Carter. Are you a Stuart Skinner believer? I mean, the Oilers definitely have the team uh, and maybe the flexibility before the deadline to really, really bolster that unit and make it look like a team that, you know, finally Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisett will get in position to win. Uh, But you have to worry about the goaltender in this situation. Uh, Do you think Skinner can get it done? I think Skinner can, but I just worry about his rest. They did the same thing last year. Jack Campbell was a liability last year, and they played Skinner every single game leading up to the playoffs. Then once you get in the playoffs, it's hard to catch up, right? So for me, are they going to play Picard more? Are they going to make a move to grab someone like a Marc-Andre Fleury or a Jake Allen to give him a little bit of rest so he can be ready to rock when the time comes? Because that Edmonton team is looking to win right now. 
And he looked a little off the last few games. He had a bit of regression, but I think he's the guy that can bring them to the promised land. Well, this was fun, Carter. We really appreciate uh, getting to chat with you, and uh, you're doing a great job. So we'd love to have you back on anytime. So thanks so much. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate we'll it. We'll chat soon. Uh, Carter Hutton, uh, former NHL goaltender and now working with dailyfaceoff.com, doing some starting goalie stuff. You can check that out on their site and on their Twitter. Um, finished his career with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He but, sure did. Uh, did so from the press box. And clearly it's working for him. Yeah. He's got an eye. For the ice. Elliot Friedman, 32 <laughs> yeah, thoughts? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, mentioned this at the top of the show, but Elliot's recent column on sportsnet.ca has a nice tidbit about the heart. Um, I'll read you a little piece of it. There are 14 70-goal seasons, six times, four of them Wayne Gretzky, one's Brett Hall, one's Mario Lemieux. That player won the heart. What all of this means is that 70 goal scorers probably win the heart unless someone else does something magnificent. There are great players making MVP cases, Nathan McKinnon, Nikita Kucherov, Connor McDavid, but if Matthews gets to 70 or especially 75, it's tough to see him losing. Last week we were giving you, this is now me talking, not Elliot. Last week we were giving you heart trophy odds and they were around 14 to 1, 13 to 1. Today it's plus 280. Mm-hmm. Less than three to one odds for Matthews to win the heart. In one week, things have changed so dramatically because once you start saying 70, 75, and who knows, 80, it's almost inevitable. It, it will be such an interesting heart uh, conversation when we get to it and how you value goals versus point production versus doing so when your team is at the bottom of the league. It's going to be incredible. But if Elliot says, tough to see him losing, I'm going to believe Elliot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is shaping up to be an amazing race uh, because we are involving some of the greatest players uh, in the game right now. We have guys who haven't won, guys who have owned the award, guys who have won in different ways with Connor McDavid just putting up ridiculous point totals and Matthews winning his earlier because he reached a plateau in terms of goal scoring that we didn't think we'd see players get to. But it's, it almost has become an exercise, at least it seems, of like doing that next thing that no one really thought was possible, right? Like 150 points, 70 goals, 60 goals last time for Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. So when you're able to check off something that hasn't been done in a while, I think it's kind of the trump card. And people are dogging Matthews for the point total when he has, I think, I don't even know what the number is, but way fewer like half secondary assists compared to the likes of a Nathan McKinnon like what do you value more what's more valuable for the most valuable player is it putting the puck in the net every single night or is it you know picking up a secondary assist while you're you know working the power play around in Colorado like I I, again I, I think we have to look at what's valuable when looking at the most valuable player and 150 points is something that stands alone obviously like it's ridiculous it's beyond what we expected to see probably while we were covering professional sports, Mm -hmm. but 70 goals is that sort of trump card. Like it's, I'm sorry, 70 goals. And that's when it's kind of like, it's like a conversation ender. And if Matthews gets there and he is already oh so close, it seems 20 away. Still a good portion of the season left. He's going to get there. And for that reason, that's why the odds have moved and shifted as they have. Yeah. I hope you got your tickets when they were a little bit, more profitable. 14 to 1 versus 3 to 1. I'm happy I did. Um, we got a minute or two here. This is a fun little story that we saw earlier um, on the internet. USA Today assigned a beat reporter specifically to cover Leo Messi. Mm-hmm. So if you could be a beat reporter for any athlete today in sports, 
who would it be? Text line open 59590. Justin. It's actually a very interesting question. I thought it was an easy question. Then we started thinking then about it a little bit more. we had a bunch of answers. I, I think there's different ways to look at it. Like, do you want to tell the story or the best story, the best chapter in an all-time athlete's career? <laughs> or do you want to, yeah, do you want to just jet set? If you want to jet set, it's Royal, Rory McIlroy, mm-hmm. Dubai, Augusta, Ireland, Scotland. You go every mm-hmm. golf course that's worth anything in the United States. You get to go to Toronto, too. So maybe it's Rory, but like Caitlin Clark in terms of what this year means for her. That was mine. And then write in the mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. that'd be pretty good. Yeah, I had uh, Caitlin Clark in terms of what a story to follow, you know, going to the NCAA, hopefully final, maybe winning it today, uh, this, this year, I mean. And then WNBA, she's just done so much already. What a series, what a year to follow her. But then when you want to go rip around an F1 circuit with... You know, Lewis Hamilton, I mean, that's the, the story of the, of the year, best. right? Lewis Hamilton switching to Ferrari. It's his last year doing laps with Mercedes. Shohei Otani would be pretty Shohei, good. Shohei, Austin Matthews maybe winning the heart. I'm, uh, I'm available to do it. I wouldn't beat. put Austin in that one. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, all right, we'll take a quick break. Will Lou's going to join us on the other side, talk about Raptors back in action tonight against the Nets. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back on the fan pregame Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, the fan Raptors back in action as well. Against the Brooklyn Nets tonight at 7 p.m., we'll have the game on Sportsnet 590, the fan right after us. And courtside, someone that's also back in action, Will Liu, host of the Raptors show. Will, I hope you had a nice couple days of relaxation and meditation before this Raptors season gets back to life. How's it going? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on the program once again. You know, I, I don't get a lot of opportunities to talk Raptors, so I cherish <laughs> these, yeah. Yeah, I bet you don't. Uh, I know this is rare for us, right? Uh, but uh, Raptors are back in action. We let our show off with just a couple, like, big picture things, you know. We're back in um, the grind. The most important thing to track throughout the end of this season is what for you, Will Lou? It's about growth. It's about growth of the younger guys, right? Because I think... What you would like to see is these younger players finding a way to play with each other, finding a way to win. And this season, it's, you know, results-wise, is not as important, let's be honest. Uh, but what you're hoping for is that next season, there's more to look for. The next season is not going to be like this one. They take this year at a reset, get younger, and then those young guys grow into the roles that they need to to get this place back to being a winning franchise. And so you want to see growth from Scotty Barnes, who, you know, makes the all-star game and, and you know, he's taking the next steps. But, you know, you know, that's just one of the steps. Like, there's going to be even more steps beyond making all-star. I think Emmanuel quickly, right, he's in a restricted contract year. Uh, you know, what is he going to do the rest of the way here? And can he adapt to being a starting point guard and finding that consistency to get him to the point where, you know, he is that future one-two punch, hopefully, with Scotty. Uh, R.J. Barrett, we've seen him come in and readjust his game, and he's become more efficient, but there's still other weaknesses. You want to see the, the three-point shooting come up. You want to see him defending, get it to a higher level. And, of course, Grady Dick, who I think um, started the season really slow, of course, mm-hmm. as a lot of rookies do, but 
has really come on strong here and uh, is starting to find some minutes off the bench too. So it's about those young guys showing uh, growth uh, more than anything else. So growing as individuals, growing together. Uh, obviously, individual growth is paramount right now. These guys have to grow into something that is worth investing in uh, in the future. But I wonder, like, is there a growth area, too, for Darko Ryakovich, first-year head coach? It, it's not like he's been given a hand that he can have an immense amount of success with. But do you want to see something from him down the stretch to make you feel more confident uh, in the coaching staff, in the direction this franchise is going? Absolutely. I mean, I think for him, as you mentioned, there have been things that worked against him. Circumstances were not great. Having said that, though, when he did have the previous players like Pascal, like OG, and they were really healthy to start the year, he wasn't getting results then either, right? And so uh, that's where you do have to make that assessment and not just let him off the hook just because of the fact that there's been trades. Let's be honest. The part of the reason there were trades is because they didn't win to start the season as well. So you, what you would like to see with any coach is what's your identity? When you coach a team, what does that team identity um, embody? You look at, for example, Tom Thibodeau, right? Came up, uh, a long-time assistant coach, and then eventually gets into a head coaching position. In Chicago, his teams were really, really good on defense, and he play, played really hard, and they won a lot of regular season games. You know, he goes to Minnesota, um, even though, like, you know, Minnesota is whatever, but, like, they still made the playoffs, and that was a really big year for them. And now he's with the Knicks, and he's doing the same thing. You could tell what a, Minnes what a Tibbs team looks like. You could tell what an Eric Spolstra team looks like. Obviously, he's always coached in Miami, but he's had lots of different rosters there, but they have a consistent identity, and they have a, you know, a calling card. What is Darko's calling card as a coach? What does it mean uh, for him to be the head coach? And so you're starting to see a little bit of that. I think the ball movement has been a strong thing for the Raptors all season. The offense is improved from last year. But defensively, you do not see organization. You often see a lot of games where they start where Darko has to call the first timeout. Darko has to call the second timeout just to make sure that they're all, um, you know, operating properly. Hopefully he really catches up and gets the players ready to go to start games and, you know, builds in, uh, you know, builds in some kind of defensive reputation. Because right now, this season, the number one reason the Raptors have failed this year is because their defense has woefully underperformed. Yeah, uh... Has it ever? That's <laughs> a nice way to put it. Uh, we're yeah. talking to Will Liu, of course, of the Raptors show down at courtside before Nets and Raptors. Uh, Dennis is back in time, a former friend of the show. I still think a friend of the show, but oh. I mean, they they cut ties not with you. Uh, they cut ties with Dennis in, in in a bit of a weird fashion, right? Like not getting anything for him, and I think it surprised a lot of people uh, just how abruptly it happened. Are, are we like? Are we closer to understanding what happened there? Was it just a fractured relationship? Was it time to move on? Were there signs that we missed? Like, where are you at with Dennis and his relationship with the Raptors? Well, I, I don't think that... Uh, I, I think the Raptors brought him in and sold him on the pretense that this is going to be a, a, a situation where they want to compete, that they want to go for it, that is going to be a winning environment. And part of that was the pitch was that he was going to come here and start. That was the pitch. And I think that as the season went on, not only were they not a winning franchise, but also it became a question as to whether he would start. And so when, that, when those things started to come apart and the Raptors are clearly pivoting in this direction where they're going to go younger and they're going to rebuild and they brought in their point guard of the future to Emmanuel quickly, you could tell that, okay, you know, the conditions aren't necessarily there for, for you know, the agreement for Dennis to continue in the role. Of course, you could put some responsibility on him as well. He could have played better. But realistically, he played just in line with his career averages. He is what he is. Um, I think 
what did change was kind of the deal in terms of the conceit of why he's on the Raptors, right? And part of that is I think the Raptors did want to try to make a goal of it to start the year, and clearly it wasn't working. And so they pivoted away, and, and he's a veteran player, and, you know, they ultimately moved off of him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was good to catch up with Dennis just a little bit before the game here. Um, you guys are you know, good? Oh, we're, we're definitely good. I'm, I'm still trying to get him back on the show one okay, more good. time just to say goodbye. But, yeah, he, he, I mean, he's got bigger things to worry about. I mean, even his family, they're still here as well. So he's got to find a way to move them over. Yeah. You know, I mean, being traded is a big life thing, of course. So he's got to sort that out, and then maybe he'll come back to the Raptor show. Yeah, the goodbye on the Raptor show will be uh, must-listen for that. sure. That'll be good. Uh, I don't know if you believe in the dead coach bounce, but a different coach is bringing uh, the Brooklyn Nets into town tonight. And I guess the revenge angle from Dennis Schroeder is one that could be considered interesting-looking at the line and the matchup tonight but you think Brooklyn might be dangerous just because they have a new coach and generally you play hard the first time at least for a new coach uh it's quite possible I think it is quite possible um you know we haven't really seen what Kevin Ollie will do in an NBA setting but you know he's been anticipated to come to the league for a while and he finally made that jump and I think for him like the, the Nets aren't a terrible place to start like they're also underperforming like the Raptors um, they have pieces where they're kind of caught in between, right? They don't really control their own picks going forward, and so, you know, they want to compete. But, you know, this year they have talented guys, but they're just not really playing together in the same way. So if he's able to get them to play hard, I think defensively there's a higher ceiling for them. They got some pretty good defenders there that if they put together, you know, a, a, a top 10 type of defense, the, their, their mediocre offense can maybe skate by. Um, but, yeah, I think – you know, Brooklyn is a team that has been pretty confusing. I think they're right there with Atlanta and Toronto and Chicago. It's just like, what happened here? And why did you guys think it was going to work? And why is it not working? Um, it's interesting looking at Sean Marks courtside before the game as well. And he seemed rather comfortable. And he's just, you know, jovial and talking to people. But then you also think about it. It's like, this is his fourth head coach since he's been taking over management. So how much longer is he going to be in there for? So it's, yeah, it's a lot of questions with the Brooklynets. But hopefully they play competitive basketball. Hopefully the Raptors play competitive basketball. And, uh, you know, we, we get something entertaining. <laughs> It'll be a nice change. Yeah. Uh, nice. You know what wasn't entertaining? All-Star Weekend. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. I had to go there. I mean, you've obviously watched so many. And I, I, for me, it's become a little bit of a not uh, a priority to watch. I mean, I was excited to see Scotty getting his opportunity as well. But he was kind of getting, I guess, made fun of or, or getting poked fun at because of you know, some of his mistakes. I just wonder for you, like, All-Star Weekend Reflection, Scotty's opportunity to be in it. Um, was it a win? Was it a, was it a, a must-watch at times? How do we make it more watchable? <laughs> Well, uh, the only must-watch portion was Steph versus Sabrina, which yeah, was awesome. awesome. That was actually really fun. And um, I thought, honestly, if Sabrina didn't get tired towards the last couple of racks there, I think she could have hit 30. Like, she was coming out, and she had a great rhythm. And, of course, she had already hit 30 um, in last year's WNBA All-Star three-point contest. But, um, yeah, I think for Scotty, look, I, it's undeniably a great experience to go to All-Star. It's such a great moment for him and his family to go, um, you know, enjoy the spotlight enjoy being around the greats of the game and, and of course it's a very busy time 
but it's it's cool. It's one of the milestones that you hit, and it's a nice reward for him taking this jump up this season. And it's a, it's a good affirmation for the Raptors franchise as a whole that they pivoted they pivoted towards him to build around him, and he makes All Star. It, it all lines really well. As for the the commentary around him, I mean, a lot of it is really disingenuous, mm-hmm. and, and quite frankly, like. Um, just insulting in general and, and really has no basis. I think people understand what I'm talking about, so I really will not vocalize some of the things said about him. But I think beyond that, like, it's an all-star game, you know? And, and I thought he actually did quite well, quite frankly, but there are those moments where he lost his dribble, for example, yeah. or, like, he tossed the overhead shot. Like, I don't know. Scotty has he's a silliness about him. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you definitely still see how young he is at times. And, and honestly, that's just kind of part and parcel of the experience. It's nothing surprising to the Toronto market. Right. We've seen him here, uh, I think maybe for the, the broader NBA market. They got to see a little bit of it. But, yeah, ultimately he had a great time. And he honestly, I thought that played pretty well in the All-Star game mm-hmm. itself. All things considered. Yeah, an important experience, obviously, for Scotty Barnes, rubbing shoulders with uh, hopefully his contemporaries and contemporaries that include guys who are going to be in the race for the MVP. Uh, I think in Tim Bontemps' latest straw poll, it was Nikola Jokic by a pretty wide margin. Uh, but the odds don't really reflect him winning in a landslide, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander is still l- lurking uh, in, in a lot of ways. How do you size up the MVP race right now? And if you had a vote, who would you be leaning to? I think I'd still personally go with Jokic. I think he's, to me, just a definitively better player and more productive than Shea. But I think Shea's case is awesome. And I think right now um, for OKC, I mean, if they finish with a number one seed, which they're quite close to, uh, I think that will give him a big boost. I think, you know, it's very difficult to produce more than Jokic. I mean, he's very efficient. This is not even as good as the year that he had last year, but he was so like so far ahead of the pack basically him and Embiid that it's just hard to replicate just how much production I mean you're getting a triple double on like crazy efficiency from a center in a team where basically he's the only all-star right Jamal Murray is like he's an all-star like 80% of the time but 20% of the time he still has some pretty big lows and whatever he obviously has not made an all-star game but I think yeah Shea's, Shea's case is cool I think you know him racking up defensive metrics that really helps too if there is one thing you might poke at Jokic, you might say, well, he's not defensively, like, excellent. But he is still pretty average on that front, and he's not bad. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think for Shea, like, again, it, it's just continue to push the Thunder into the lead. The Thunder actually have a softer schedule the rest of the way, too, which really does help. And, again, if he can finish as the number one seed in OKC, have, like, three or four more wins, five more wins than, like, Denver, and, you know, again, just continue to do what he's doing statistically – He's going to make a lot of people think twice about sort of um, which way to go. And I think the nice thing with OKC is that, like, there's no clear-cut second star to, like, share the credit with, which I think always kind of helps uh, in an MVP type of race. You've seen guys like Derrick Rose when he won you know, his year. It was clear that he was the guy. No one else was really, like, even nearly on par with him. Same thing with Jokic. Same thing with Embiid. You know, uh, same thing with Giannis when he wanted to. So I think Shea has a really good case. And uh, it, it'd be an awesome moment for Canada basketball if he's able to uh, to become the second ever Canadian to win MVP. Yeah, we've been talking a little bit about Canadian basketball, at least in the headlines, with Vince Carter saying that he would want to come into the Hall of Fame as a Raptor. Um, hearing that and knowing kind of the, the unique relationship, we'll put it that way, that Vince had with the organization in his time uh, through the league and, and now coming back around, like, I mean, I feel like most people are on their way to getting back Vince in their hearts. I don't know where you stand with Vince, but him wanting to come into the Hall of Fame as a Raptor, what does that mean? Uh, well, me personally, I, I thought Vince was 
basically already gone by the time I became a Raptor mm -hmm. fan. So mm -hmm. I don't feel any particular resentment or attachment necessarily one way or the other. But having spoken to obviously a lot of Raptor fans who are around for that moment, it, it's a really complex thing. I think mm -hmm. if Vince really, really wanted to just like bring everyone back on his side and, and make it a universally positive experience, I think he just needs to sit down with one of those interviews and just like go through that Raptor time. Show. Really open it up. I mean, that would be a good opportunity. I would more than happy to have <laughs> Vince Carter go. anytime on the show. But like go through some of those moments and, and, and share like real honestly, maybe even take accountability at times of like, look, it was an ex ugly split. There are definitely moments that you will regret. Having said that though, like that's what every NBA star leaving a franchise looks like nowadays, right? Like it's nothing dissimilar from like how Anthony Davis left like the New Orleans Pelicans either. And of course, I think for Toronto fans, like he brought everyone else into the spotlight. It was the first big thing that the Raptors had. And for a long time, this was the only big thing the thing the Raptors had. But I think, yeah, there's there's always going to be some like hurt feelings over that. I, th I think in general, though, the Raptors, what, 30th anniversary next year. Uh, I think there's going to be an opportunity if they really wanted to, to sort of move in that direction where they tribute him, honor him. And, and honestly, like, you can't really tell the history of the Raptors without Vince Carter, right? Like, he's at minimum, like, the third most important, you know, character ever for the franchise. And that's at worst. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, my, my personal thing is I would like to see Raptors tributed more often in this <laughs> building. Like, I'm looking up at the Raptors right now here at Scotiabank, and there's, like, I don't know, 14, 15 Leafs banners, mm -hmm. and there's, like, two Raptors banners. There's the inaugural season, and then there's the championship banner, which is, like, cool, of course, and I understand the Leafs have an incredible history, um, just not in the last, like, 40 years or so, but, like, <laughs> you know, still, like, there's not one Raptor jersey anywhere yeah. in the building, you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. Is it, uh, just, is it just as simple as waiting on Kyle for that? How long are you going to wait, though? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's, 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 he's close, right? And, and if you want to do it, I guess, in order... You know, why not wait another couple of years? But the 30th anniversary thing yeah. probably is the trump card there. Like, something's going to happen next year. I think so. I mean, they probably bring back some purple to their jerseys. I would hope that would be the case because I thought those would look really cool. Um, you know, you can always play on those nostalgia things. You can bring back, like, some fan favorites. I'm sure maybe you see, like, a Mopey, you know, guys like that. You know, uh, JYD, I'm sure he's always down to come to Toronto. But, like, come on, man. I mean, I think there's got to be something really significant around that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, again, I think Vince could help his own case as well to sort of bring other people back on his side. And I would really require him to show not just, like, a humility because, I don't. again, I'm not trying to take sides in this, but he would really need to offer a lot in that sense. But, uh, yeah, I, again, you can't really tell the history of the Raptors without Vince Carter. So, it, you know, if, if, it were, if it were up to me, just me, again, somebody who was not even here for the Vince, the whole Vince thing, I, I would do it. But, you know, that's not up to me, I guess. Uh, no better place to do that than on the Raptors show. But like, Yeah, uh, let's do it, Vince. It, yeah. it, I feel like the Raptors fan base right now, because we're in this transitional period, like we are firmly in the 30th anniversary definitely helps. But firmly in the appreciating the past, sort of stage here and yeah. just the most recent past 2019 right and yeah. Vince maybe picking up on that and maybe trying to like put himself in that conversation a little For bit sure. more and and I hope he does it because you're right I mean you can't tell the story of the Raptors without Vince Carter yeah I, actually I remember after game six I was I was on the court in Oakland uh, when the Raptors like clinched the championship, Vince was actually there for that. He was covering for NBA TV. Mm. So was T Mac. So was like Chauncey Billups, for example, was doing media at that time as well. Like, you know, and I just remember this one moment where after the game, you know, everyone's already out or whatever. 
And now Baccia, the super fan, came over and actually gathered the three of those former Raptors together. And he just kept telling them, like, you guys are part of this, too. You guys are part of this, too. And uh, look, of course, that's like a more generous kind of retelling of it. But again, I, I do feel like he's such an important part of the history that, you know, in some way should be remembered, especially as long as he can, like, mend fences with some of the fans who are maybe even still holding on to some of the older memories. And that's not to say that's invalid either. I mean, again, like, some of the things that happen, I mean, it's hard to just say, like, okay, cool, we're cool with that without some kind of, like, apology or even accountability more than anything else. But, yeah, again, I, it doesn't seem like you can't sue something like this out. I'm not going to lie. Uh, quickly, Will, it's uh, Darko Ryakovich's birthday. Do you see any cake or any celebration, a pizza party? What's up tonight? <laughs> yeah, no pizza party. Uh, uh, even the Charlotte know. Hornets have won three games in a row, yeah. you know. But <laughs> We'll say happy birthday to the boss, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully they give him a win at least That's for it. Birthday. That's what he wants for his birthday. Uh, well, we appreciate your time, Will. Uh, great, great to have you back on the air and enjoy tonight's game. Anytime. Thanks so much. Will do, host of the Raptors show, Raptors reaction, reaction pod as well. I follow all of our Toronto sports teams on Twitter. Today's mm -hmm. weird. Today, What's going on? There are three significant birthdays from Toronto sports legends. Okay. I use legends loosely. Run them down. It's Ilya Samsonov's birthday. Okay. It is Darko Ryakovich's birthday. Okay. And it's Chris Bassett's birthday. These That's, guys, do they all, strange. Do they all come to the, the, uh, to Toronto in the same year? I think they're all they recent to the have. city. Darko's a they're all recent. Darko's a asterisk maybe on that. Samsonov was a year ago. Samsonov was a year before the other two, I think. But in that order. Anyway, February 22nd. Happy birthday, Toronto sports. Go. Everyone's born today. And there's a lot of Toronto sports to be played tonight. Is Leafs it your and Raptors birthday? In Text us. <laughs> maybe it's the birthday parlay. <laughs> we, yeah, I can't get a Chris Bassett bed in yet. Uh, maybe Cy Young. Cy Young, Chris Bassett, Coach of the Year, Darko, and Ilya <laughs> Samsonov, Vesna. What does I that pay? I can guarantee that Darko Ryakovich is not going to win. Coach what if, of the year. He, what if you put a future on for year. next year? Darko next oh, yeah. year, Coach of the Year. Bassett, Cy Young, and Listen, uh, Samsonov next year's Vesna. If you're going to win Coach of the Year, you need to be able to improve your team from a base level to and something much better. He and could be in the running for next year. Darko would be uh, at least meeting that early uh, or that, that pre-criteria, I'll put it that way. Oh, that's funny. Uh, we do have some best bets for you tonight that don't involve any of those. Mine doesn't involve any anyone that's having a birthday that I know of. Uh, but I've been red hot on my goal scorer props, just singular goal scorer props. And that's like saying it lightly. Like you, I think you hit like what, seven of eight yesterday? Like it was just ridiculous. Yeah, I was on, I was on a tear. Yeah. Um, tonight, I have two for you. And you can parlay them if you believe in me. If not, that's okay. Matthew Kachuk and Nathan McKinnon to score. McKinnon's got nine goals in the last 10 games that he's faced Detroit. And Matthew Kachuk has four goals in the last five games that he's faced Carolina. I like when players cook against teams. I know, yeah, there could be regression, but... McKinnon's red hot. Matthew Kachuk is also red hot. Um, and I think I'm just going to go with things until they stop happening. So you can parlay those up. And uh, best of luck. I've been doing pretty well lately. I'll just say that. Yeah, doing really, really well lately. It's a busy night on the network. Lots of things to choose from. Uh, my main pick is going to come from a regional game that we have on Sportsnet Pacific. Vancouver uh, in Seattle to face the Kraken. Vancouver encountering their first three-game losing streak of the season, but that's been the thing. Uh, that's been the story of the Canucks season is they don't really let it linger. They've been able to nip any issues 
in the bud very, very quickly. So I like the Canucks mm. after their first three-game losing in the uh, streak of the season to, you know, it, to get their attention. They go into Seattle tonight, minus 130, and get a win over the Kraken. I think it's worth looking at the Brooklyn Nets tonight as well. They're plus 100 on the money line. Generally, the dead coach bounce is a thing, right? Like, you get a new coach. Everyone wants to impress the new coach once. You get everyone playing a little bit better than they normally do on at least one night. Mm. So Brooklyn plus 100 on a short spread game in Toronto. And I like Dennis Schroeder over 10 and a half points. 100%. Schroeder's coming in. You don't think he's want to put, put up, uh, he's going to yes. put up some shots against the Raptors. Uh, yeah, that's why it's just a, a decent shooting night for Schroeder gets him over 10 and a half points. I kind of like the Leafs too. Lacerated spleen for Mark Stone. What? Yeah. A lacerated spleen? Lacerated spleen for Mark Stone. I bet you know when he's probably ready right before the playoffs and get off LTIR. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I feel bad if you have a lacerated spleen. I feel like the spleen, lacerated but... spleen isn't a laughing matter, but Mark Stone does tend to get injured around this That's time. That's awful. <laughs> and, I just looked uh, it up. You don't yeah. want one of those. No, you don't. A lacerated spleen. I think that might, you know, rattle that team a little bit because things haven't gone really well for Vegas this year. They're still pretty good. They're still, you know, being buoyed by really, really good goaltending from Aiden Hill. But that's a blow, man. That's a blow when things are going well for you, losing your captain like that. So maybe the Leafs can make it uh, six in a row going into Vegas, second half of a back-to-back, uh, and get a win over a team that's, you know, dealt a, a bit of bad news today. Um, all right, quick one for you here. What do you make of these MLB jerseys, fiasco, pant fiasco? It is real tough. So this is your, this is more your experience. lane. This is more your lane for sure. Is your jersey guy, your gear guy, merch guy. Um, but <laughs> if we can see through the pants, it's an issue, right? And we're seeing through a lot of pants at spring training right now. And uh, you're you seeing know, a lot that you do not yeah, need to see. 162 games, is a children's 30 teams. sport as well. Junior see Day Sunday, pants. you can't have. They play through rain and white pants. You can't have like George we, Springer we gotta, in the outfield we gotta, wearing these. We got to figure this out. It's it's actually explicit. You cannot have George Springer <laughs> yes. in the outfield on a Junior Jays <laughs> no, Sunday. No. The Junior Jays, not on Junior Jays Saturday. Don't no. don't let them wear these in public. It, they're it's a tough look. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Any chance it's a lighter pant for spring training? Just like you know, spring training gear is a little different. They need to. Every uniform needs to be black. Then. <laughs> yeah, this is an issue. Like when you can see your shirt tucked into your pants. I'm not worried about the shirt, if I'm being honest. Yeah. We can deal with shirts. Uh, that's a tough one. All right. Well, I'm sure enough people have complained online that they're aware of this, the issue. You type in MLB, you type in Jersey. The m- most talked about thing at spring training <laughs> right now is yeah. the things at spring training. Thankfully uh, for the Blue Jays, we got some storylines, right? Yeah. We got Ricky Tiedemann Saturday. We got a big day tomorrow. We're going to talk lots of Jays. Yeah. Tiedemann starting. Out in France this Sunday. We're getting baseball back. It's going to be on the network. Sports has got spring training on Saturday. I can't wait. Yeah, it's about I'm that time. I'm actually fired up to watch the baseball. It's about that time. Blue Jays getting in action. All right. That's it for us. Up next is Brooklyn and Toronto on Sports at 590. The Fan. We'll talk to you tomorrow.